So we're starting a new series. It's kind of our summer series that was going to go for a couple of months. And yes, this is Pentecost Sunday. How many of you did you know that? This is, the, this is the day traditionally churches that are like Pentecostal or Spirit-filled churches. And let me just clarify what that means because not everybody has the same idea of what that means. But when I say Pentecostal, Spirit-filled, those are the churches that still believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That, that God is still pouring His Spirit. Uh, there are some churches that think, oh, well, that happened only in the first century. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, let me say, we believe the gifts are still evident today. Amen. Amen. We still believe in healing. We still uh, believe in prophecy. We still believe that God is doing a work today. And for the exact same reason God, uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out in the first century is why today. Right? And whenever and it was uh, from the prophecy of Joel, he says that, uh, that this gift is for you, your sons, your children, uh, talking about generations, but also for those who are far off. So it was not limited for one single generation or for one single location. It was for everywhere. So we need the Holy Spirit. So again, traditionally, that's what we would talk about on this day. Again, I'm changing it up because I believe that the same God that pours out the gifts of the Holy Spirit also gives us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? And, and they're important. Let me tell you, as Pentecostals are Spirit-filled, a lot of times we focus more on the gifts and don't really talk about the fruit. And how many of you know that's why there's a lot of mean Pentecostals out there? <laughs> let me just tell you the truth, right? We need, let me just give you this. This is your fill-in. If you don't have the notes, we do have fill-ins in there as well. But I want to tell you that the gifts of the Spirit are useless without the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that clear. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But before I get into that, I want to talk to you about uh, a class that maybe you took or you didn't take in college or high school, botany. All right? Anybody ever take that before? Come on. I'll see, there's a few hands that took it, right? If you don't know what that is, it's the scientific study of plants, including their physiology, structure, genetics, ecology, distribution, classification, and economic importance. Let me just say this. When I was in Bible college, I never took a botany class. And there's a good reason for it is because I wasn't interested in it. I didn't think that it would be a topic that would be important for ministry. And let me tell you, for 30 plus years, that has proven to be true. I haven't really needed that. And I can tell you, I can just tell you, I'm horrible at identifying plants. Anybody else with me? It's like, I don't know. If I see a tree, here's, I am this good. If I, I can usually tell if it's a tree or a bush. Right? Anyone else right there? If I need to really know, then uh, Randy, though most of you guys know Randy, we ask him, like, hey, Randy, what is this plant? You know, I didn't really even know. I couldn't even recognize poison oak until we went out to our property enough times. And he's like, every time Randy's out there, that's poison oak. And I'm like, okay, so I finally, I can recognize that now. How many of you know that's a good thing? <laughs> can you recognize it? When you're walking out there, you, eventually you learn it. I did find out that the tree that's right by our gazebo out there is called a liquid amber tree, which sounds really cool, doesn't it? liquid amber but you know what my what i call it my scientific name is the pokeball tree <laughs> right because that's what it produces these little pokey anybody ever stepped on one of those things that's hurt that doesn't feel like liquid amber that sound that's pain right yeah but let me say if the tree doesn't have any pokeballs on it i don't have any idea what kind of tree that is that's just a tree right that's all it is so here's the thing as bad as i am at identifying plants and trees 
I do have this, and I never took the botany class, but I understand that if I come upon a tree and it's got this hanging from its branches, I know that it's what? <laughs> right, it's an apple tree. That's rocket science right there, isn't it? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if I came upon the tree and there's this fruit hanging from it, yeah, grapefruit. <laughs> I guess you could mistake it for it, but not quite. It's an orange tree, right? And, and then, you know, again, just uh, being very real, this is the only one they had. They didn't have those pears, this, but they had this pear at Safeway. So uh, if I come upon a tree with this, though, I know it's a pear tree, right? Right? Isn't that amazing? Aren't you guys proud of my uh, understanding of plants and stuff? And I ha- yes, I'm, I'm a botanist, right? No. <laughs> But here's the thing, you can hang a sign on an orange tree, right, and say it's an apple tree. How many of you know that doesn't make it an apple tree? If you go up to Apple Hill, and how many of you like going to Apple Hill? Uh, it's amazing. If you went up there and, uh, and you saw a bunch of orange trees, which probably wouldn't grow up there anyway, but even if you did, and they said, oh, here's our apple orchard, you'd be like, wait, that's not an apple orchard. Right, but the sign says it. Doesn't matter if you doesn't matter if you post it. Whatever you say to it, uh, the fruit is what identifies what the tree is. Right? I know that's so amazing. I'm going really deep here. I want you guys to understand. The fruit identifies the kind of tree, and in the same way, our fruit identifies what kind of a Christian we are. So, like I said, we're starting this series. We're calling it In Season. It's on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I could have also titled it, What Proves That You're a Follower of Jesus? What is it? What, or what is the evidence that you are a Christian, right? So we're going uh, <laughs> to be talking about uh, the verse out of Galatians chapter 5. But before we do, I, w- I want to give you a little background of what was happening in Galatia. First of all, Paul wrote the letter of Galatians to a church actually called Galatia there. And it was in a region that's modern-day Turkey. Paul visited there on his first missionary journey while he was there. Uh, And if you read any of Acts, you realize Paul went through a lot on his missionary journeys, didn't he? It wasn't like smooth sailings that went on. And especially even when he got into Galatia, he was verbally attacked. At one point, he was stoned and left for dead. That's rough right there, right? He spent himself physically, I'm sure mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in order to help the Galatians, in order to help the church grow in their relationship with God. And as a result of that effort, there was a church that was started. The good news of Jesus spread, but after he left, sometime later, uh, some of the people began to get confused. Some of them started abandoning the faith because there was a group of people that came in called the Judaizers. And uh, what they were doing is they were teaching that grace wasn't authentic, that it wasn't real, that, uh, that, that that's not really the path to a relationship with God. Instead, they said the only way to really be a Christian is to keep this long set of rules. And so they were confused. They heard Paul. Now these people are coming in and saying, you've got to le- read these rules. And so in this passage that we're going to look at today, this is Paul's response to this rigid, joyless, keeping, rule-keeping way of life. This is him talking back. Paul, uh, Paul said, it's not the rules that make you a Christian. How many of you guys are thankful for that? <laughs> you don't like sign up. Oh, I want to be a part of this church. Well, here's the rules, right? You don't get any of that. Instead, he was saying, when you follow Jesus, you become a completely different person. People watching you uh, will know that you're a Christian by the fruit that happens in your life, right? 
So we're going to look at it. So Paul contrasts the evidence of a sinful nature versus the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to start out uh, at uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 9. He says this, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, our sinful nature is our life without Christ, right? We are born with a sinful nature. Uh, it's our natural inclination to do that, right? And we, we share this all the time. How many of you know a little kid, uh, you don't have to teach them how to be selfish, am I right? It's in their sinful nature. They already know that. Some of us still have that, am I right? So the desires, of, uh, when you follow that, it says here's the result, basically the fruit of your sinful nature. Uh, it's very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and look what he says, other sins like these. Can I just say as a believer, as a follower, we would do well to examine that list, look at it, and say, wow, do any of those describe me? Are any of those fruit evident in my life? How many of you know we need to check our fruit every now and then? Right. Right? We heard a message years ago uh, that, that if you allow, we should check each other's fruit. Like, ooh, man, I see a rotten orange on you right there. What is that? Uh, but we have to be teachable in order to do that. Amen? So look at that. I mean, what is that? Sec sexual immorality. How many of you know that encompasses so much? Right? It's not just like, oh, well, what is sexual immorality? Well, if you read God's Word, uh, the only place where, where sexuality is, is allowed is in a relationship between a man and a woman. Right? Uh, not a relationship, a marriage. Let me put it that way. So uh, uh, lustful pleasures, you know? They didn't have pornography back then, but uh, there was still a lot of that stuff going on. That's still, not, that's still sin, right? Hostility, translated as hatred. How many of you realize if you hate somebody, and let me tell you, there are plenty of people that qualify for that, am I right? <laughs> but if you hate somebody, that's sin. Uh, division. If you are a person that stirs up division and dissension, it's sin. Drunkenness. But let me tell you, this is not an exhaustive list because he goes on to say other sins like these. So it could be even more. He's basically saying, listen, these are the evidence of a sinful nature. And uh, regardless of what we claim, if your life is characterized by those things, then I want to tell you, you're not following Jesus. I don't care, I don't care if you have the t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian. You're not told by, by the sign that you put on, it's by the evidence. And look what it says in verse, the end of verse 21. He goes, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty black and white, right? Paul made it clear that if you live your life that way, you're not going to heaven. And, and I know some people are like, oh, wow, you're so, you're so harsh. Listen, that's not me. That's the Bible, right? That's what the Scripture says. So uh, like I say, call yourself a Christian or not, what does your fruit say? What is your fruit? That's your calling card right there. And, and listen, I have found this to be true. Some people that have made decisions about God based on Christians that constantly talk about others, hot-tempered, uh, mean, they stir up trouble, and they make their decision on God based on that. And I just want to say, don't judge God's people by people that claim to be a Christian but are controlled by their sinful nature. Does that make sense? Just because somebody says they're a Christian, if their fruit is of the sinful nature, don't... don't oh, man, that's what, that's what church people are like. I met this person in church, and they were mean, they were this, they were that. Well, they were controlled by their sinful nature. 
Doesn't matter if they were in church. Doesn't matter if they call themselves a Christian. That's not God's people. And so Paul paints an opposite picture right here of somebody's life that is committed to following Jesus. This is what it's going to look like. Verse 22, he says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And remember, he's responding to them saying, you've got to follow this list of rules if you're going to be a Christian. But he says this, there is no law against these things. This is not a checklist of what I've got to do in my life. Okay, I better, have, I better make sure love. Oh, God, I'm going to make love happen in my life. How many of you know you can't make love? There are some people that you can't love on your own. Am I right? You just can't do it. There are situations in your life that, that happen that if you just try to have peace, I don't care what you smoke or what you light up, uh, you're not going to get peace out of it. Am I right? You're still, you're still going to be in torment. Uh, I'm just going to be kind. You drive in traffic enough, you can't just be kind on your own. Amen? These fruits are not a matter of, oh, I got to do it. Oh, I got to do it. How many of you know the orange tree doesn't sit there and think, oh, man, I got to produce an orange. Oh, I got to make that thing happen. Right? They don't even have to think about it. It's, it's something that naturally happens. It's in its DNA, right? And when you are a follower of Christ, our DNA has been changed because Christ is now in us. And all of these fruits begin to manifest. Look what it starts out. It says, the Holy Spirit produces that fruit in our life. It doesn't say, you produce this kind of fruit. You better do this. You better do that. No. When I'm connected to the vine, look what it says in John 15. I am the true uh, grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. So if I'm remaining in him, it says a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Notice it doesn't say might. You will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like useless branches, withers, Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. And then he says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, look at this amazing promise. You can ask for anything you want and I'll grant it. That's That's pretty awesome. But then he says, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciple. How am I the true disciple? By producing much fruit. And it brings glory to God. So isn't that a relief? I don't have to produce it. If I'm connected to Jesus, if I have my relationship with him, if it's alive and active, then it's something that is going to be coming out of my life. All of a sudden, I'm going to begin loving where I didn't used to love. All of a sudden, I'm going to have joy where where used to I'd get anxiety and peace and patience. All of these things are going to become evident in my life. Amen? Amen. Amen. In the same way the apple is proof that it's an apple tree... We don't, listen, we don't get to pick and choose which one of the fruits we get, do we? Like, it's not like, oh, you know what, I'll take the love and the joy and the peace. That sounds awesome, but I don't want that patience fruit. (laughs) I don't want that self-control fruit, right? I don't know. Listen, you can't pick and choose. It's all of them, all or none, right? Look at the fruit of the Spirit. It's not optional. They should all be present in my life. 
And listen, I made the first service say this. I'm going to make you guys say it too. Don't ever say again, I don't want, don't pray for patience. Why? Because patience is a fruit of the Spirit and you need it in your life. Uh, one of these weeks, we're going to be talking about all these different fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to talk about patience. Don't think you can follow the list and figure out when I'm going to talk about patience and miss that Sunday. I'm going to surprise you with it, okay? Because we need it. We need it. So, so here, repeat after me. I'll never say, don't pray for patience again. Why? Because I need it. I mean, if you don't need it, if you've got so much patience, then yeah, you're excelling in that. The rest of us are still growing in it, am I right? right. Amen. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about these, uh, how important they are. Today we're talking about the first fruit that's listed, and that is the fruit of love. And I'm going to have a, uh, a fruit that represents each one of these uh, along the way. So I'm starting with love, and doesn't strawberry just speak love to you? Like what, you know, on Valentine's Day, what do they give? Strawberries, uh, chocolate-covered strawberries, right? Isn't that even better? Uh, sorry, these are not chocolate-covered, but uh, <laughs> strawberries are good. It's anniversaries, so oh, you give those out. Uh, it's just a great fruit for that. Weddings, they have that. It's just a symbol of love. So every time you see a strawberry, I want you to think, oh, that's a fruit of love. I need to have love in my life. I need to grow on that. So I want to give you a couple verses. The first one is out of 1 Corinthians 16. And it says, uh, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. And then, what does that say? Do everything in with love, right? Everything. Wow. That's a lot, right? Mm -hmm. I can't just do some things. Uh, what about when I'm on Facebook? Should I be and do that in love, right? Uh, what about when, uh, oh, let me just go back there to the, the traffic. What about when somebody cuts me off in traffic? Do I, uh, I'm going to cut you back off, but I'm going to do it in love. Don't worry, all right? I love you as I'm teaching you a lesson. No, that's not right. So uh, we need to do everything in love. Listen, we need it. Jesus said this, to love your neighbor as yourself. How do I do that if I can't even love myself? Right? So I think you need to give yourself a little bit of a break. Uh, don't love yourself in a narcissistic way. We don't need any more of those in our world. <laughs> Am I right? But we need to love and say, okay, God, thank you. You know, I, I hate my nose, you know, and I hate this about myself, and I hate that. No, God created you. Accept who God created you, not who, you know, not our sinful side of us, but God's reflection of who we should be, right? We're created in the image of God. We need to say, okay, God, thank you. You know what? I may not have the best singing voice, but I'm going to use this voice to glorify God. Uh, whatever it is. And accept that, right? So do everything with love. Uh, let me look at some verses a couple of chapters before. And I'm going to cover four verses today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 31. Actually, the last half. And understand, chapter 12, Paul was talking about the gifts of the Spirit that are poured out in the church. He's talking about prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, healing. All of those are listed there. And then he ends the chapter with this. And now I will show you the most excellent way. So there's all these gifts listed. And then he goes into chapter 13. And, uh, and I'm going to read this and then we're going to break it down. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flame, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul is talking about, just in these few verses, things that we think are important, right? Things that might make somebody great. And he lets the church know that without the fruit of the spirit of love, none of it matters. None of it matters. So like I said, I'm going to slow down. We're going to look at verse 1. He says, uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So let's look at what that means, because after you read chapter 12 and you hear tongues, automatically that's what we think it is. But the word itself there simply means various languages. It could be Spanish, it could be English, it could be Greek, whatever it is right there. And notice the first thing that he says is the tongues of men. So that's any earthly language that could have been known or ever is. He, and, and when you hear somebody speaking, and, and if you hear someone say, oh, man, I know six languages, how many of you know they're pretty smart, right? Like, if, I, don't, I don't know all those languages. If you know that many languages automatically, in that area back then, people spoke many different languages because you could be right here and you could be in a city. People are coming from all over, and they're speaking all kinds of languages. And a lot of times people try to impress how much language that they do know. So that is, uh, when you speak in the tongues of men, that is an earthly language. But then it says, or of angels. And that's referencing a heavenly language. One that is not known on this earth, that is only by the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, the Corinthian church was very proud that they spoke in tongues. They felt like, oh man, you know what? We, and it was like a spiritual uh, mark of how wonderful and how spiritual they are. And, and he's saying, if you're not doing it in love, you're what? This clanging symbol, whatever it is. So they thought they were spiritual. You could kind of read it like this. If I speak in many languages or in a heavenly language and impress people with my amazing words, but I don't have love, I'm just a bunch of noise. Isn't that true? These words have even more meaning to the original hearers, the Corinthians, because there was a lot of pagan rituals that went there. And during some of those uh, uh, pagan rituals that honored these pagan gods, it included these loud chanting in different languages, uh, smashing of gongs, clanging cymbals, blaring trumpets that were going on. And so the, the hearers that heard, heard this, they understood what Paul was saying. They're like, you know what? I could have the biggest show, the greatest words, uh, speech, whatever. But if I don't have it in love, then it's nothing more than a pagan ritual. Yeah. Ouch, right? And so here's the fill-in. Great words without love are nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Great words. Saying all the right things in the right uh, way is useless without love. I got to have that in me. Uh, I got to understand what that means. And let me ask a question. You don't have to answer this, but have you ever been guilty of that? Speaking some words, but it wasn't in love, right? Now, we could probably all raise our hands, am I right? You know the right thing to say, uh, but if we say it without the motive of love, then, then it just falls on deaf ears, right? Like, think about way back, some of you guys, anybody that have siblings, do you ever get in a fight with them when they were young? Right? Or when they're older, I guess, sometimes too, right? <laughs> it keeps on going on. But anybody ever have your mom make you apologize? Now make up, tell your brother or sister that you love them. And then what was the words? I love you. <laughs> right? It's like the, the, wor the right words were spoken, but the wrong motive. And, and the motive means everything. 
It's everything. We use that word so flippant sometimes. Oh, I love you. It kind of cracks me up when you see these music artists or whatever, and they got these crowds of people, and they say, I love you. They're shouting out to their fans. What's the motive behind it? Do they really love them, or do they love them because that person just spent several hundred dollars to come to their concert? Am I right? I love you. Thank you for the money. I can't wait to buy my next Lamborghini or whatever it is. So uh, that's, their motive is not love. It's not I really care about you. They're like, hey, thanks for the money. The motive behind your word has to be genuine love. And can I say this? If you can't say it in love, then you shouldn't say it. You may be saying, well, Pastor Scott, if that's the case, I'll never say anything. <laughs> All right, well, good. We're probably going to be better off for that, right? And one thing that I'm learning, haven't always learned it, but it's better to delay a conversation until you can truly love that person. Don't feel like, oh man, we got, man we're going to have some words, right? We're going to have some words. It's going to fall on deaf ears. Listen, if my heart is not right, my words aren't going to matter. Don't, don't confront somebody until the motive is love. Do we need to confront sometimes? Yes, we do. That's part of what God's word does. But make sure the motive is love. Do we need to correct? Isn't God's word for that? Do we need to challenge people sometimes with God's word? Absolutely. But if love is not your motivation, you better keep your mouth shut. If your heart is not filled with love, well, when, let me just say this. When your heart is filled with love, how many of you notice that it changes your volume? It changes your tone. It changes the impact of your words. So with that, every word that we speak, it should be wrapped in love. You should have a love burrito, right? <laughs> make, make sure that my words are wrapped in love. And I'm just going to go as far as to say this. If your words aren't filled with love, it's better not to tell people about Jesus. Don't be harsh. Oh, you better turn or burn. You don't repent of your sins, you're going to fry forever. That's not love. Right? That's not love. Uh, our lack of love completely invalidates our words. You can say all the right things, do all the right things. And yes, I told you, we're going to the fair in a couple of weeks. Listen, when we go there, I pray. This is our, our, one of my biggest prayers. Make sure that your heart is filled with love. Because I want to tell you, we have done this a lot. Uh, some people are going to come up to the booth, and believe it or not, they might be a little combative. Right? Like, oh, you guys, what do you believe? We had somebody, we used to do this in Chico, and uh, this gal came up. She wanted, to, she wanted to pick a fight, and we knew it. You could see it on her face. And she got up, so what do you guys believe about this topic? And she, would, and she was ripping our literature as she's talking to us. And she wanted a fight. She really did. And, you know, we didn't give it to her. It's like, we're going to love you. You know what? I, I don't know whatever happened to her, but she didn't get the fight she wanted to get. Why? Because we, were, we chose to love instead of be like, what do you think that, you know, that thing cost 10 cents that you just ripped up. Who cares what that is? The person is more important, amen? So when we go to the fair, we want love to be our motivation, amen? And I believe if the church would get this right, how many of you realize that would eliminate most problems in the church? tensions that happen if we would learn to speak in love. And listen, the same thing applies to the words we write. Emails, anonymous letters, right? Anybody ever send those? I haven't gotten any of those since we've been at Freedom Church, but I've gotten them before. And they're not in love all the time, right? Social media posts, I kind of talked about that. Basically, if you can say it, type it, post it, text it, tweet it, print it, uh, if you can't do it in love, don't do it at all. Right? Might as well get off of Facebook, right, if that's your motivation, right? 
So uh, let's move on. That was verse 1. Verse 2, he says this, if I have, and I'm breaking this down, if I have the gift of prophecy but have not love, I am nothing, right? So what is prophecy? Well, if you move into chapter 14, Paul talks about uh, prophecy as one of the greatest spiritual gifts. Why? Because it, it, gives a, it strengthens a, per, a church, uh, encourages them, comforts God's people. And somebody with the gift of prophecy could be a great teacher, a powerful preacher. It could be somebody that just has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And they're responding to that, and they're giving that word out. But here's the thing. The power behind what we say is our motive. What is our motive behind giving this prophetic word? We've heard prophetic words, and the person was about promoting themselves. And that fell pretty flat, right? They're giving this word. If, you're, if your motive is self-interest, if it's to re- receive praise, if it's for gaining an advantage, I want to tell you, your influence for the Lord is going to be greatly diminished. No matter how persuasive your word is, no matter how compelling it is, without the motive of love in God's sight, it's going to fall flat. You're basically wasting your breath and your words are useless. Ouch, right? Have you ever heard a great speaker and and they're amazing, but they sound angry? (laughs) The angry preacher? It's like, what in the world? is? You probably didn't listen long, did you? You're like, man, I don't want to hear this because here's the reality. Prophecy without love is nothing. That's that's what he's saying there. Let's look at the next part of verse 2. He says, if I can fathom all mysteries... And all knowledge, but have not love, I'm nothing. Listen, mysteries represent spiritual understanding. There are some people that have amazing spiritual understanding, am I right? They understand how, I mean, God has revealed that through prayer, through being in their word. So that's what mysteries, knowledge represents earthly knowledge. Knowing facts, figures, all of the things, uh, having all of that. And Paul is saying, if knowing everything in heaven on earth... Uh, everything about God, everything about man, but I don't have love, then all of that knowledge and wisdom is useless. It's all useless. And let me tell you, this is coming from Paul, who was educated at the best. He had the best teacher, best schools, all of that. He loved learning, but he's saying, listen, if you have all of that, it's pointless if you don't have love. Amen? How many of you know there are some people like try to impress with their knowledge? They have, there are some people you meet, and they know something about everything. Am I right? <laughs> and not just something. They know everything about everything. And they're hard to love. Right? They're hard to love, he says. Uh, just in case you didn't know it, if somebody calls you a know-it-all, that is not a compliment. <laughs> Am I right? Not a, here's the new flash. People don't even care how much you know. Right? They don't even care. Because here's the reality. Knowledge doesn't win people to Christ, does it? Right? Knowledge is not going to heal a broken relationship. Knowledge is not going to put your marriage back together. Knowledge is not going to bring your kids home because this is a, a saying you've probably heard. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. See? Care. They don't care how much you know. Unless, and so here's the reality. Knowledge without love, it's just information. And, and that's only good if you're playing Trivial Pursuit or maybe you get to go on Jeopardy, right? Not much else past that. You may have all the right answers. You may be convinced that your way is the right way. It's the best way. But knowledge doesn't change hearts or transform lives. It's just not going to. Love is what makes the difference. Amen? Amen. So let's look at another part of verse 2. He says, If I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. He's using the exact same figure of speech that Jesus used, didn't he? 
Jesus said this in Matthew 17. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So basically, Jesus is saying, if you trust me completely, nothing is going to be impossible. But Paul's point is this, that even if you have incredible faith and uh, trust in the Lord, if you don't have love, it's worthless. Anybody ever meet a person that has meant great prayer, great faith, they're telling you all these things they're believing God for, uh, but they're a jerk? Anybody ever? I've met some people like that, right? They speak and they pray great things of faith, but then they treat people like dirt. They treat people horribly. Paul's saying, listen, if you do that, your faith is worthless. You know, if you read in the book of James, he says faith without works is dead, right? It's in the book of James. Paul's basically saying faith without love is dead. Faith without love is dead. We need to realize these things, love is so important. And then verse 3, Paul says this, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. The word give right here is not like, hey, listen, I'm taking everything I got and giving it at one time. It really means out doled out in small portions, like over the course of time I'm giving a little bit, a little bit, eventually to where you've given everything. The teachings, the rabbis of the day said that you don't need to give any more than 20%. So this illustration that Paul's giving is way over the top of generosity, isn't it? Like from 20% to everything. But according to Paul, even the ultimate act of giving, like even if you put it in a program where everything is given away, if it's not done out of love, it's pointless. Like it doesn't matter how many people you feed, doesn't matter how many Bibles you give away, doesn't matter what the great sacrifice, if the underlying uh, motive is not love, it's pointless. So here's the fill-in. Giving without love is of great value. Giving without love is worth nothing. I mean, I think Paul's making a point here. Anybody ever see somebody uh, try and demonstrate love by giving gifts? Does that work? Like, you don't have time for your kids. I don't have any time to spend with them, but I'm going to buy you the new iPhone, right? Or I'm going to buy you the car that you want. Does that work? Does, does, does buying gifts work? No, it doesn't. I mean, I wouldn't mind the gift, but that doesn't mean we have a relationship, right? Maybe you don't have time for your wife, and uh, you don't have time to listen to her. You don't listen to her day. You don't listen, but you're like, you know what? Yeah, I don't have time for my wife, but I'm going to send her flowers. And candy. And, and you know what? I'm going to send her some chocolate strawberries on top of that, right? right. right? Does that make everything right? <laughs> no. I mean, if it works out for you, then you're probably one in a million. But uh, it, it doesn't work that way. You can't buy love. And so uh, uh, sometimes we bring that same mentality to the church, don't we? We're like, you know, I may not do anything. I may not care about people and minister to people. But you know what? I give in the offering. Right? I'm doing my part right there. Listen, if we're giving without love, it means nothing. And then Paul takes it to the next level. If I uh, give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, you know what he's talking about right there is being martyred. If I give my life for Jesus, but if I don't do it in love, I gain nothing. You're like, well, who would do that? I mean, who would do that? Anybody here pray to be martyred? Okay, I don't see any names. If you're online and you say, yeah, oh man, I would love to be martyred. That would be amazing. But you may not realize that in the early church, persecution was very common. And, and it became very intense. And some believers actually sought out being martyred. Why would they do that? They wanted to be killed for their faith. That way they would become famous or they thought they would gain special credit in heaven. 
Kind of like suicide bombers that happen in some face, right? Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. When the sacrifice is motivated by self-interest or pride, it loses its spiritual value. And Paul says, even if you give your life, even if you do that, if the motivation isn't love, it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to make any difference. And so the bottom line, the loveless person produces nothing and gains nothing. How many of you think the strawberry love is very important? I need, the, I need God's love because the reality, all these things that Paul's talking about, how many of you know our words are important? Prophecy is important. How many of you think that's important? Absolutely. Knowledge is important. Understanding spiritual knowledge, but how many of you are thankful that your doctors have some knowledge? Anybody want to go to a dumb doctor? What's wrong with me? Beats me. <laughs> I have no idea. Here, take this. See if that works for you. No, we don't want that. So knowledge is important. Faith is important. Uh, in Hebrews, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith at giving is important. All of those things are important. They're good. But here's the thing. Love qualifies our words. Right? Love qualifies the prophecies that we may speak. Love qualifies the knowledge that we have. Love qualifies our giving. So if the motive isn't love, listen, friends, save your breath, keep your money, don't give your time. Because our motivation has to be love. Our motivation has to be love. Because the reality, you can't earn your way into somebody's difficult life. Oh, I'm going to do another right here. You, how many of you know you can't buy your kids back? Buy them enough gifts. You know what? I messed up your childhood, so I'm going to give you gifts. You can't buy that. You can't work your marriage. Let me buy the latest uh, marriage book, and we're going to fix our marriage. Doesn't work that way. But you can love in yourself into somebody's life. You can love your kids back, and guess what? You can love your marriage back, right? Love makes the difference. That's why Paul said, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. I'm going to show you. Love, we need the fruit of love to shine bright in our lives. The world needs that. We were singing a song earlier, we need a move. How many of you know we need a move of the, love, the fruit of love in our lives? Right. Amen? I look around our world. Uh, is there a lot of prejudice that happens in our world? Yeah. It works every direction, doesn't it? It's not a one-sided issue, uh, even though some people make it like that. But I want to tell you, prejudice is not the love of God. Someone with the fruit of the spirit of love doesn't disqualify others from their love or from God's love because of somebody's race, their color, their background, their language. How about this? I'm going to step on some toes. Even their immigration status. That's not love. I see a lot of hate in this world. Anybody with me? A lot of hate. Oh, my gosh. Overflowing with it. But somebody with the fruit of the spirit of love in their life, you can't hate somebody because of their political views. You can't hate somebody because their life choices, even if they're different. You can't hate somebody because the words they speak. That's not love. And you're saying, Pastor Scott, do you mean i got to love people that disagree with me politically? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I heard yes. That's what the Bible says. When God's on the inside of you, that is what comes out. Listen, I read angry words. Uh, you hear divisive opinions online. That's not love. I see a lack of compassion and concern for those in need. And listen, sometimes you post things, you may put something, but if you're doing it in love, it may confront some tough issues. If you're really doing it in love, let me tell you, God can use that, amen? See, love is not apathetic. Even if you don't agree with people, uh, love reaches out and cares. I don't have to agree with you to love you. 
That, I think that's the mistake that sometimes our world... If you don't agree with my choices, then you must not love me. Is that true? No. no. Uh, I don't agree with people that would break into my house and steal my stuff, but I'm going to choose to love them. Choose to love. I may not feel love. I mean, you know, love is not always a feeling. It's a choice. I'm going to choose to. Uh, so you don't have to agree with somebody to love them. And, and I watch people stir up trouble with their words, with gossip... That's not love. I see people in church who won't, t- not this church, but there are people in churches, it's like, I sit on this side, you sit on that side. We don't talk to each other. We had a disagreement years ago. I've got a grudge and I'm not getting past it, right? Let me tell you, just because somebody hurt your feelings or did you wrong, is not an ex- excuse to avoid the fruit of the spirit of love. It's not an excuse. Love is not an option. I think I covered that already. Don't believe me? Look what, what Jesus said in uh, John 13. A new command I give you. What does he say? Love one another as I have loved you, so you uh, must. How many of you know that's not optional? Right. You must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it's not option. That's how people know that you're a Christian. They see this love. They're going to know it because, hey, listen, you've got, that person's got love. Yeah. I don't know. How do you love that person? It's like, oh, man, it's God inside of me that's doing that, right? Uh, we need that revival of love in the church today. We need a revival of love. We need the Holy Spirit to pour that out, and we need to act on it because the fruit of the Spirit of love, it is greater than hate. It's greater than prejudice. It's, it's more powerful than the grudges we hang on to. I believe that it can transform politics, right? Love makes you stand out different. Than, and, and I believe that this right here, that love will draw people to you. Aren't you drawn to people that are loving? Isn't that true? Whether they're a Christian, whether they're not, you're drawn to that. And if you're loving people like Jesus, then guess what? You'll be able to point people to Jesus. Like, what is so different about you? What is it that, that makes you different? And how many of you know, it doesn't mean perfect. We're not talking about being perfect. There's a difference between being perfect and being loving. We all have our flaws. We all sin. We all blow it sometimes. Repentance is a great thing, isn't it? So I'm not saying, listen, you better be perfect, and then people are going to be drawn to you. No, but if we will love, people are going to be drawn to that. Look what... Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I'm almost towards the end here. Dear friends, he says, let us, this is uh, John talking, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Then he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Look what it says. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Guess what? God went first. He loved us first. Uh, he, he, he sent his son first. We took communion earlier. Represent, how many of you know he took communion before anybody turned to him? Or he gave his life before anyone turned to him. And I want to say you'll never have the fruit of the spirit of love until you respond to his love first. You can't make it happen. Yes, you can be a nice person. You can be a loving person. But how many of you know you got your limits on how many that you can love? When the fruit of the spirit of love begins to flow in your mind, then it will begin to break down barriers that you've had set up for years. Oh, I don't like those kind of people. Oh, that person drives me crazy. Oh, that person this. And it's like all of a sudden this fruit will begin to happen in your life. 
But first we have to have received his love. I think it's Romans 5, 5. It says God shed his love in our hearts so that we can love others. So we got to respond to that. So I want to give you that opportunity before, before I move on. If you're here today and you're like, listen, I, I need to, I need either, either a first time surrender to say, God, I need that love in my life. Or maybe you're here today, even like me, Lord God, I need more of your love in my life. I need more of that pouring in my life. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. I'm up because I, my hands are up. I need more. I wish I could say, you know, your pastor loves everybody all the time. It's simply not true. But I know that I can through him. So, Lord, we uh, stand here today with our arms up. Lord, saying, God, fill us with your love. Lord, help us to grow in that love. Help us to grow and to become more like you. Lord, help us to be able to look at those that would nail us to a cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, that can't come from our hearts. Our hearts are not there. But, Lord, you can put your love in our heart. Lord, when we find that we are lacking in it, Lord, let us make sure that we're connected to the vine. Lord, through being connected, your Holy Spirit will produce that love in our life. And if you agree with that, just say, Dear God, I want to be a more loving person. Help me to love those that are difficult to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before I close, I just want to, and we're going to sing a song, but I want to close with this verse right here. Dear friends, and this is, this is continuing. Since God loved us so, we should ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but I love this right here. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Isn't that good? His love is made complete in us. Oh, God, help us to love you the way... Help us to love others, Lord, the way you love us. Lord, that's how we're going to prove others that we're your disciple. Lord, that's how we're going to show the, this world. Lord, that's the only really hope for this world. Is Lord, if your love shines through us. Lord, we have people, we have neighbors, we have co-workers, we have uh, family members that don't understand the love of God. And Lord, they never will until they see it in one of his followers. They'll never know how much you love them. They'll never, they may know about the cross, but they'll never understand the cross until they see love at work within us. So, oh God, in our shortcomings, Lord, in our attitudes, Lord, replace that with your love. Lord, help us to begin to be a true reflection of who Jesus is and show that love to this world. Lord, we thank you.